Hello and welcome to another RTFM, the final of our Kickstarter Appendix Now inspirational episodes. <laughs> We're in the dregs of it, folks, but it is 40 degrees Fahrenheit outside and the sun is shining. So we're gonna we're gonna do it. I'm Aaron King. Still, I don't know what that temperature means. Even a little bit. It is. I looked it up. It is four point five degrees Celsius. Oh yeah, yeah. It's similar here. It's nice. It feels springy. Yeah. It's. I, it is the fool spring. I know it will not last. But oh, see, it might here. Oh damn! <laughs> I, left, that, I left. You the got area. that ocean. Yeah. 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 I left the part of the of. I left the same climate band as you i guess yeah uh yeah it might it might last here although maybe not who knows i don't know the world is strange it's an unpredictable time here in the planet earth (laughs) not like the good old days (laughs) when we died of disease and malnourishment oh right right those were the good old days yeah i mean i think we'll get into that actually i wanted to touch on that but uh, today we are discussing Kismet, uh, an RPG by Cesar. How did how did you think it was said? I just assume it's Capacol, but Capacol C A P A C L E. Um, and then The Invisibles by Grant Morrison and a bunch of artists. But we're gonna start with Kismet because uh, I had never read it before you brought it up. And this game rules. It's so good. Uh, it's so good. I'm so yeah. happy to have introduced you to a good game. Yeah, and you can get it uh, C-A-P-A-C-L-E dot itch dot I-O slash Kismet, K-I-S-M-E-T. Um, yeah, it's, it's not an expensive game. It is Creative Commons as well. So, you know, buy it, use it, make supplements for it it's extremely short um and there is a second book you can get it in physical format but what that means is that you get a a lulu code um so it's print on demand uh the the quality is very good i have the physical copy um and it's very nice but it's 26 pages and then there's an expansion to it i don't know if you read the expansion but there is an expansion to it um that is very interesting. So I'll talk about that. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, my PDF version is 32 pages, but there's a lot of art. Uh, the margins are very big in a nice way. Um, like the layout lets it breathe and the, the spreads are uh, well done so that, you know, a single idea is contained in a two-page spread. If you pulled all this text out and popped it in a Word document, it might be five pages, which I don't say as a way to like demean its value. I mean, no, it's, it's like a very tight, clear, condensed game. Yeah. Um, the layout is good. It's good yeah. looking. It's I, I like all layout. the space, but it's very good looking. Yeah. 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 All around 10, 10, 10, yeah. 10 game. Do you want to dive into it? Do you want to talk about, I don't know, like how'd you find this game? What? Uh... Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, I played this game before I knew what it was. I didn't know what it was either. And then I got invited to play on a stream um, with good old good old Mads. Shout out to Mads. Um, Mads of the Top oh my Shelf. God. Thank you. I <laughs> yes. Mads of the Top Shelf. Uh, and um, what's interesting is that they had said that 
they had run the adventure that they ran us through on the top shelf in D&D, and it went kind of the same, which is interesting considering what we'll talk about, which is the main mechanic of this. Um, but it's interesting to take a game that's so light, because this is the lightest game of... This is as light as, like, Tunnel Goons. <laughs> Maybe yeah. lighter. Um, but... Uh, yeah, and I was like, oh, that sounds interesting, and then played it and was like, oh, this rules, and then went back and read the whole thing. Um, and I feel like that's very rarely what actually happens. Very rarely in play, I'm like, oh my god, this is so great. Uh, and now I think about it, that was like a year ago, I want to say. I don't know, what is time? Um, and I have like not... A game design period has not gone by in which I do not think about it. <laughs> um, it is it is a very rare game that has like stuck in the back of my mind through it has changed me fundamentally <laughs> as a designer, which is funny because I know we said that about uh, cyber metal, but um, we can which, have multiple influences. That's what yeah, this little is, mini series is also potentially is true. Uh, although this one came out quite uh, quite a while ago, so the intended goal of Kismet was to just be a system that you can pick up to play the adventure modules that you have kicking around from a variety of other just different systems. Like it really was like made to kind of acknowledge that we all have all these adventures that we want to play, and then sometimes the learning of the system that matches that adventure can be a little bit of the reason that we don't. Um, and so it's it, it was designed to uh, support that and let people get into it in like five, ten minutes, which yeah, um, the intro it says, successfully does. Yeah, have you ever felt like running or playing an adventure module uh, you found, but you weren't in the mood to engage with all the finicky rules that come with it. Uh, right out the gate, that's what it's. That's what it says it's here for. Yeah, yeah. And so it 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 has some setup. It's very guided. The making of like the book is very guided, but it boils down to one singular mechanic that is applied across a number of different moments. Um, and the idea is that each character has their kismet which is um, a roll between 1 and 20. Um, and you to, develop, to determine your starting kismet, you just roll the d20 and that's it. And then every time you want to come up against something that is the outcome of which is unknown, you roll a d20 and you are trying to get uh, over, generally, your kismet. And then when you roll, that becomes your new kismet. Um, and so it's constantly changing um, and shifting your like chances of success. <laughs> Um, which sounds, I don't know. When I first read that, I was like, oh, that's so weird. That's so weird. How is that going to work? And then I played it and I was like, oh, it's cool. Because sometimes you know you're probably going to succeed. Like you're, you're really sure of the thing you're going to do. And that as a player, that changes what you propose to do right same with if you know that you're really likely to fail then it's not what do i want to do it's like what is the most compelling failure that i can come up with right which is and, a way more interesting story tell prompt than what does my character want to do yeah and the push and pull of it is amazing it's perfect like if you roll a 20 you succeed but your new score to roll over is a 20 and so you're not going to succeed next time you're not going to succeed and it's like this great push and pull or like 
oh, I rolled a one. It really sucks. I failed. But my next roll, I'm going to succeed no matter what. Uh, that feels great. And yeah. like the physical action of rolling the die, and then you set that result aside because that's your new target number. Like there's a, a really nice uh, like tactile sense of that. Like I'm just going to keep this die here so that I know what number I need to roll over next time. There's a little part of the character sheet to hold your dice. Yes. Yeah. So your it's dice, great. So that you know, like put it here, remember what it is. Don't write it down because it's not going to last long. Right. Uh, and the tension of like, if you're rolling middling numbers a lot, like that introduces this tension of like, oh, I have a 50, 50 chance or I have a, you know, 45, 60 or 55, whatever. Yeah. I'm not, uh, there's some really interesting moments where, where your kismet, just increments up slowly and that's super tense yeah because you like keep succeeding kind of against your own expectations and then but you know that time is running out (laughs) um and it becomes this really fun gamble there's just a lot of tension there's a lot of tension and a lot of suspense in the roles uh and it just makes it it makes them all feel like they have an impact. Like it's, I haven't, I don't know. I haven't seen a moment with this kind of, uh, this kind of role mechanic where it doesn't change something about the story that's going on. Right. Cause even if you're, even if you have a really easy target number to hit, the tension is, Oh, I'm setting my next target number with it. So even if you're like, Oh, my kismet is one. I know I'm going to succeed, but it's like, Oh, I hope I succeed with a two. And not I feel an 18 like, kind of thing. A thing I've been thinking about a lot is the idea of like flow in RPGs. Right. And I feel like the problem with nothing happening when you roll isn't that nothing happens, it's that it kind of like stunts the flow, right? Like it kind of like blunts that progress a little bit and it doesn't necessarily roll into the next thing. And what that really means is that it doesn't inspire the players to keep going with what's happening, you know, to keep going with crafting this story. And that's, and I think that's why it's like hard to overcome those moments narratively when you're playing a game. And the nice thing about this is that like, I haven't experienced that when using this because you are always setting something up next with each role. Um, especially because, so like the the book itself kind of describes what happens when you use this as an action role or a combat role or a magic role? Like it separates those out. Yeah. And um, it has even rules for as well for like using it to help GM yourself or use it yeah. as a GM to like Whoa. understand how the world is reacting to you, how you advance or how yeah. like what it could mean in the context of a death role if you feel like your character is on the front. On the, and, and it's funny because it fundamentally means the same thing. <laughs> Like the the guidance in the, that text is very similar, but it, there's just a little bit of a subtle shift. And I think it does a nice job of like getting you to think about it in a number of different applications, yes. which, yeah. I, which I think is important when something is so simple, because I think sometimes when we have things that are super simple, people will devo- like default to their understood or like familiar game contexts. Right, which happens in all games. It's like, oh, yeah. I think I understand how this rule works. And then you actually are missing uh, the point. And I don't mean you. I'm not I often people. am missing I mean, the point. <laughs> right, I. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there are a lot of nice little examples and variations of this very simple rule. Yeah. Yeah, I really like the 
the conversation about GMing yourself or doing it in a solo context or mm-hmm. I think I think the fact that the book is kind of actually just a conversation about this core mechanic is make is what makes it interesting. Yeah. Um like it's barely a rule book, right? It is just and this is I I feel like we keep leading into this like the the games that I feel like we kind of like a lot more are the ones that are more about a conversation about playing a game than they are here's a rule book. Right. It's like a combination like style guide mm-hmm. plus uh, a sort of guided discussion, like book club question kind of things uh, yeah. in a really good way. Well, um, I think it like it helps you digest the concepts of yes. it. Um in a way that in a way that rule books often do not. Um yeah, I actually I I reread it this morning again um, in preparation for this and had some like big brain thoughts about hand baskets. Yeah, <laughs> like I every mean, time I, was, I read them, like oh yeah. <laughs> I was just gonna ask, like, do you want to explain or talk about how this game, you know, gets refracted through your crazed hand baskets? Yeah. Hell fight prison. <laughs> I took this super simple idea and then I made it really complicated. Um, I think it's working out though. So I, I, what's funny is that when I was first designing handbests, I didn't have this in there. I mainly just took a bunch of stuff from Cyber Metal, including the idea of skills. And so you have a skill score that you're trying to roll under. Um, that's a number between zero and a hundred. And then I was like, I just don't, I've gotten to a point in my gaming where sometimes I have a hard time seeing the point of having skills. Um, and this isn't always true, but I, I feel like what it does is, what it often does or what I feel like I'm often, this could be totally not how other people experience it, but like if you have four skills and somebody has really high stats and one score, what I feel like it often does is just encourage them to go for that. Right. Um, and that's always for me, then it's like, well then just give them the one score. <laughs> if I'm right. going to roll with my strength every time, because I'm better at strength than everything else. So I'm just finding a justification to use my strength in this circumstance then I don't need any other scores, you know? Right. Um, and and so I and this isn't with all games, but I was having this thing with hand baskets where I was like, does it need different stats? Is that meaningful? Is that making meaningfully different choices for the characters or the players? And I couldn't answer yes to that. And so I had this like, what if I just compressed them all? <laughs> um, and then I was like, oh, of course. What if I just compressed them all using Kismet? <laughs> like, what if that is exactly what this whole uh, this whole thing is about? So what if I just did that? Um, and because the framing of hand baskets is, you know, this like lords of hell, demonic, witchcrafty, kind of ever shifting, large powers, magic and technology make anything possible. Like, there's all these forces at play. Um, the the thematics of your chances ever shifting fit in perfectly. <laughs> right. And that's a classic, like, in the battle royale genre. Like, you see these people who are total badasses, but then they get caught. You know, just like the the evil hottie in battle royale yeah. is like you see right, him <laughs> succeed so much. But then, of course, the time comes when something bad's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so I got rid of all of them and and took this idea to it. And what's been interesting in playtesting it is that, so now it is, it's still D100. Uh, I've called it the Omen score. Um, and it shifts every time you roll it the same as Kismet. But beca- because I'm taking the interpretation of the, the individual dice in a D100 from Cyber Metal, the roll gives you a lot more 
information. Um, and so you will have uh, the damage that you can do. And so there's still damage in it. And then, and then the fallout are kind of the world's implications of, uh, of your role, um, which still kind of means it's, I don't know. There's a lot of information in the roles of, of, yeah, baskets. that's the wild thing about cyber metal. As I was like, so much. I, I was trying to make a list of like, here are ways to mess with the dice and the information they give in cyber metal, and it just, it's so know. much. And then I uh, went and added an extra thing, and that, right. And I haven't decided how much is too much. Like all of these things are still very in progress, right? And so yeah. none of this may end up coming out in the final. But uh, and I just want to be clear, it's a lot in a good way. Like yeah, it drives player agency it drives kind of like surprise and fun for everyone involved and um yeah just kind of lots of little you don't have to get into the weeds on that math like you can just be a casual player and roll a d100 and see what happens but if you want to get into those weeds as a game designer or as a player or a gm there are lots of little knobs to twist as far as like switching dice like it's a d100 you can switch the tenth place in the ones place or like bumping fallout levels and, and all this other stuff like again cyber metal gift that keeps on giving and then adding this the kismet aspect to it is still a very simple thing but one more little like nice knob to turn as far as making character class abilities or whatever yeah, for me, it also like scratched that itch between like the one thing that I experienced from playing Kismet was like, I could see if I was playing this over a long time, I might want some way to affect the dice roll a little bit more or something right. to do with it. Um, and, and there are lots of ways to do that. And so and one of the things for me was like, what if we just made the dice roll a bunch, a bunch more complicated? Uh, and it's not actually complicated, but the, I might actually, I've been thinking about this a lot today, and this is a little bit of a, a tangent, but I, I kind of want to remove the GM as much as possible in hand baskets, and whether that means they're, op, like, I kind of want them to be optional. I don't want to say it's GMless, but I want the GM to be somewhat optional, because because of that nature of it being, um, like, character v versus character uh, stuff. I like the idea that there is the option for it to maybe be played without a GM. Um, and one of the things that I like in Kismet is that there, because it's written to be potentially solo, there is some conversation about how there's mainly just like, you should describe. There's a lot of when you fail, you can describe what happens to make things more complicated as opposed right. to the, even just the language. And this is one of those things where I'm like, the mechanic doesn't change. This is just the way it is presented in the book, um, which is why these things matter when writing books. Uh, it's why like the, the conversational bits matter when writing books is like the difference between saying, you know, when you roll below your kismet, you fail and you don't accomplish what you want versus when you roll below your kismet, you fail and don't accomplish what you want. Describe how the situation gets harder for your character. Right. Those are two very different games, extremely different games. And one of yes. them is just requiring a lot of that being carried by the GM, just like defaulting and assuming that they're going to pick up to tell you what happens as a consequence um, versus allowing players to name their own consequences. And I think it's pretty cool when players name their own consequences. And so I'm, I'm also trying to lean into that a little bit and might be shifting fallout from cyber metal to be more of those prompts about how you name the consequences of your fallout and everybody else kind of has their, 
you know, their moment or opportunity to react and respond to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's just good. It's just a good game. Everybody should buy it. It's cheap. It's good. It's light. Everybody should play it once. It also does have the expansion, which I think you'd like personally, actually. Yeah. I'll have yeah. to check it out. It's, um, it's just like a great tool, right? Like this game is like, uh, I've recently, I've been like just assessing like, oh shit, what do I need in this house? I've lived in the same place for more than a year for almost the first time in a very long time. And I'm just like, oh damn, I don't have a hammer, (laughs) you know? And to me, Kismet is just like, oh, you've moved into the house of GMing. Here is a hammer. And I don't mean that in like a blunt force (laughs) aggressive way. I mean it in like, this is a useful tool and Mm -hmm. you can use it for many different things it's a, a, a simple tool. It will not break down on you. Um, it has two ends that are both. It's just like, it just feels like an essential piece of game technology, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Especially like if you're a person who wants to play more games, I think it's a really good way to do that. If you're a person who designs games, it feels it feels not dissimilar to when we read Apocalypse Worlds, where it was like, this feels like it should kind of be a, not that there's actually essential reading, but you know, it could be categorized as essential game design, like theory reading. Right. Like this is day one. And it's also like, if you are at a party and someone's like, I'm, I hear you run role-playing games. What's that all about? You could just say like, oh, let's play right now and just use Kismet. Yeah. And just be like, here, this is a way to, you know. Yeah, prior to Kismet, my go-to game for that was Tunnel Goons because a lot of people who say like, oh, what's role-playing games? Uh, are kind of have this association with D&D, and I think Tunnel Lagoons does a really good job of taking some of their expected framework of DM, D&D and making it simple and able to just pick up really quickly, um, which this could also do, but is a little bit of a different step. But like, if I was crafting an RPG design course... <laughs> which you do. Be, you literally do, do sometimes. Usually we do RPGs and video games in the same course, but... Yeah. Um, I, I if I had if I had more time to just engage with RPGs from a design mechanic in in a in an educational framework, I would be extremely tempted to be like, okay, you read the Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition Player's Handbook, and then you read Apocalypse World, and then you read Kismet, and yeah. then you tell me what your design philosophy is yeah that's really good uh, and i also feel like... shout out to tonal goons quick before we get off topic oh yeah by nate by nate tremay highland paranormal society oh, it's nate so tremay dot itch dot so io um t-r-e-m-e for tremay i'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce it yeah i hold i my my role as archivist of this podcast i take very seriously yes so i did Sorry to interrupt. Um, no, no. Yeah, no, it's a very good game. Everybody should check it out also. But yeah, being like, here's the, which one of these is more useful? Which one of these do you feel like spoke to you? Which one of these do you think actually helps you understand how to play a game? Um, and I don't think most people would answer D&D. Uh, but, if, but if they do, that's fine. Like, if yeah. those are the weird tools they want to use, like, totally. I have friends that are like, I use raspberry Pi to make my house a smart house and here's all the weird shit i make it do Uh, and it cost me a lot of money and took a lot of time but i love it it's like that's cool show me what your weird house can do yeah i'm gonna hang out in my house with a hammer (laughs) it took me a really long time 
it took me a really long time and way too much money to realize that actually you can just buy the Philips Hue version of the thing. And it's probably, even though it looks expensive from the outset, it's cheaper than building your own in the long run. Yeah. Uh, but yes, all that to say, I also have funky parts of my house that can light up based on my phone. Um, but yeah, I think it is. And, and yeah, I think it is fine. And I think the the, you know, the cultural... The cultural powerhouse that is D&D carries a lot of weight in that. But um, they're just such different ways to think about the idea of play in role-playing games. Yeah, and shout out to Dungeons & Dragons at watsy.itch.io. It's a cool little... (laughs) I don't know. Is that bit, Dungeons and Dragons. Is that a funny uh, first bit? quest, best favorite favorite game of RTFM. No, uh, <laughs> I I can't believe that Wizards of the Coast has not set up an itch.io page yet. That would be so funny. Be so funny. Um, yeah, just good stuff. The expansion uh, as a, as a quick overview because we don't have to get into it, but the expansion has. Um, 20 a 26 page example of play holy shit that is very well done it's fast it's the same it's exact same layout as the main book so it's 26 of those pages yeah um but it is incredibly well done it is broken down into scenes and walks through character creation and and walks through using a, a different module and translating that into um solo play uh, and how to use the mechanics of Kismet both to do solo play, but also to like confront and craft a story out of this uh, out of this other module. And then it has a bunch of pages of suggestions for how you could add extra rules to it if you wanted to, like concepts like advantage or resetting your Kismet value um, or using traits as skills or having like different kinds of Kismet points that you can spend to reset. Like there's a, a, just a bunch of different, like there's just like, I don't know, six pages of... Right. A list of ways in which you could change. This is it what we wish GURPS more. was. Like yeah. <laughs> a truly universal system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is better than GURPS. It's better than any universal system. It is the only game that has ever made me believe that universal systems could exist. Um and be and be enjoyable. Uh because it there's just it's, it's just such an apparent thing. You get a lot. I think we talked about this a little bit with Cyber Metal about how like there's just so much of Adam in that design. Yeah. And this feels similarly personal in that in that I feel like we get a lot of what Cesar might like think of as the importance of play, like what's important in a session feels very right. communicated through the design and commentary of the books and I just think I agree. And I think that's why I like this book so much. Um <laughs> uh, yeah. 1010 a plus yeah all time i'm gonna start i'm gonna start uh rating all games from it's like where do you compete in comparison to cyber metal and kismet right this is the uh, standard appendix n podcast which is a book club podcast for uh like sci-fi and fantasy fiction that is often the basis of role-playing games um one of the hosts keeps a running tally a running ranking of every book he's read for this podcast. And they're into like episode 150 or something. Um, and I really I mean, I like that idea. That. I've thought about starting it, but I do love the idea of like tied for number one <laughs> Kismet Cyber Metal. Yeah. 
And I mean, that just... would definitely be my, that would be my current ranking. Yeah. Yeah. We should um, do that. I, I, I think I might. It requires me to go back and listen to our ranking of the games. Or maybe no, it I doesn't. Can, no, just I can do it from your gut. I can change my mind. You're right. You're I think right. the I think residual impressions are so much more important than than like I don't know. Yeah, I'm a malleable and changeable felt. person. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, I also think the value of a lot of things is how do they make us feel when we think about them a year later. Yes. Does it spark joy? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Gerps and Gerps versus a gone at the bottom of there though is gonna. <laughs> No, it's fine. Gerps, be... my, I don't even think GURPS is as bad as my feeling towards it warrants at this point, right? Like it keeps getting dropped lower and lower down that list because as time goes on, I dislike everything about it more because of every conversation <laughs> about it. Like it's not, it's not even the game is the worst game. It's the feeling is the feels bad. The feeling is bad. Uh, yeah. Whatever. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm pulling an audible here. Last week we said we would talk about Mage, the Ascension. We're not gonna, because uh, I was thinking about it, and the only thing I really feel about Mage, which is a White Wolf game from the 90s, like Vampire, like Werewolf, uh, Mage is about people who like don't think there's magic in the world, and then they find out there is. <laughs> and uh, there's lots of, as with a lot of White Wolf stuff, it's like, here is... 10 different kinds of wizards for white people, for Americans and Europeans, and then, you know, all of the African traditions get rolled into one kind of wizard. Or, you know, and it's it's worse in Mage the Sorcerer's Crusade, which is the Renaissance version. Um, I don't know. They can be fun books to read, but I don't think I want to play it. So instead, we're going to talk about The Invisibles which is a comic book uh, written by Grant Morrison, drawn by a number of people. Uh, it ran for 59 issues, I think. Some of the artists were Steve Yowell, Jill Thompson, uh, Phil Jimenez. Uh, and the same things that I would pull from Mage are things I'd pull from The Invisibles. Um, it's about a cell of magical, techno, sexy spy terrorists um, fighting against fascism, you know, in the late 90s, uh, Britain and America. It's a weird comic book. You've read it. I I have to preface this by saying I read it when I was a teen. So yeah. we're fully, we're fully into that. <laughs> the residual vibes for me with the Invisibles. Mm -hmm. what, what do not hold anything I say as facts about what what is contained within them. Because I'm, I'm... I'm running on vibe fumes here. Yeah, it's... Um, uh, but I remember loving it. <laughs> yeah, so say. Morrison is uh, an avowed and open chaos magician, real-life magician. Um, and part of the Invisibles was their attempt to create a quote-unquote hyper-sigil to jumpstart our culture. Uh, so, like... I did not know this context. Yeah, so there's... <laughs> Wild. There is, like, deep... Invisibles lore and also deep Grant Morrison lore. Um, yeah, and um, so, you know, there's this cell of people and one of them is like super fashionable. What if James Bond was a sort of metrosexual being? There's a, a, a 
manic pixie dream girl, like crazed woman from the future who is also maybe a character from Morrison's run on doom patrol. Uh, there's an ex cop who is like, Oh, being a cop fucking sucks. There's a young Liverpool Liverpudlian uh, man who like might be a future Messiah. And then there is a, a woman named Lord Fanny who is like variously described in the book as uh, like a drag queen. Um, you know, the tea slur is used sometimes because, I mean, I think that's just how people talked and it's often used in reclaiming ways and like morrison has since come out as like don non-binary and said like yes lord fanny is like me and like someone i want to be kind of thing so it's it's a very muddy situation but like content warning that like there's some uneducated views on trans issues in this um there is but an actual trans person dealing with their shit in the 90s yes because i also like it is so this is a side rant, but like it's very different <laughs> when cis folk use right. all kinds of terminology and or are and even just like are really messy about various kinds of queerness and transness right. than yeah. when trans folks use their creative outlets to explore their own messiness. Right. <laughs> right. Like yeah. one of those those things those one of these things is not like the other, and not to say that that doesn't mean that Morrison can't step in it every once in a while right and they absolutely do like it's it's uh such a again as we said with cyber metal like it's such an aggressively this is everything that's important to me i'm Mm -hmm. gonna put it in here it's messy it's weird um yeah less than 59 issues from 1994 to the year 2000 um and there's lots of weird magic stuff there's lots of like almost not quite essays but just like this is the one where i talk about you know my chaos magic beliefs sort of thing um it's available in like seven trade paperbacks collected editions or i think there's like a huge hardcover that has all of them um and you know it's about a world recovering from like ronald reagan and margaret thatcher uh like now kind of caught in neoliberal like the appeal of the clintons and tony blair of like oh this is so much better things are so good but then you know blair and clinton and and you know the democratic party of america in general is like oh this is better than thatcher and reagan but it is also in ways like holding us back from a a better brighter future and so it's kind of about that but also it's about doing drugs and traveling to other dimensions and going back in time and recruiting the Marquis de Sade, (laughs) the Marquis de Sade's time displaced ghost sort of into your cell of invisibles. Uh, So it's, it's strange and it takes, it diverts, it goes in strange directions. Um, It kind of develops its own language of symbolism. And I don't know, it's fucking weird. And it's about, imagining a better future which sometimes means having a good long sit and talk and sometimes means throwing a bomb where it will do its best work yeah yeah i remember loving it so much but i think a lot of that was like 
oh, is this the first time that I'm encountering a lot of the views that I have of the world in in a piece of media? Yeah. Um, you know, not dissimilar to the hot the hot dykes of the Wachowskis. <laughs> um <laughs> Like, like there is a through thread with all these media pieces, right? And it is for sure, here's a bunch of queer and trans folk figuring their shit out in a public forum, and that just connects to a whole lot of us. Um, and I think there's an argument to be made that, like, the messiness and the ways in which it they trip themselves up, both, both of them, actually, um, is part of why it works. And by works, I mean part of why I feel emotionally attached to things, you know? <laughs> Like, right. Like the, this imagined future that the matrix and the invisibles are both dealing with is like, it's not about transcending our humanity. It's not about becoming like perfect and pure and able to do no wrong. It's about doing the wrong thing, making mistakes, fucking up and still like trying to come together and build something a little better. And yeah. yeah, creating spaces where messing up like that does not mean you are put in prison for life or, you know, beat up in the streets, things like that. Yeah. And I think that, like, I think the messiness is, is like a necessary part of like queer expression that we're losing a little bit in media. I have so many feelings about this. Many of them I expressed last time. But yeah. um, again, which doesn't mean they can't step in it and there can't be, there shouldn't be like lines around portrayals of certain things but i do still feel like there is there is a lot of value to that messiness this is this is funny because i feel like a lot of this is unrelated but i feel like a lot of this was the conversation about um detransition baby when it came out that people were really mad about how messy um it was and uh, and obviously a lot of trans folk were like, but our lives are fucking messy. Get the <laughs> right. fuck out of here. We can just <laughs> express our messiness. Like we can speak our truth or whatever. Uh, and don't have to always be on display for the the greater audience at play. Um, right. Like don't always have to be having a conversation with society at large we can be having a conversation with people like us and they can witness that and not get it and take it the wrong way or whatever but i can make this piece of media i can make this creative work solely to be meant to be in conversation with people like me right and we've talked a little bit about like representation and how that factors in but the idea is like you know if you add one gay person to a sitcom of a bunch of cis cis straight people like that one gay person represents gay people because they're the only one. Whereas if you have media like produced by queer people featuring a number of queer characters that represent the very real spectrum of queer life, like then it's easier to have these characters be messy or mess up because they're not representing the entirety of that culture. They are a piece, you know, and it's like Mad Max, Fury Road, there's a number of women in there, and that allows them to disagree with each other and represent different aspects of like what it might mean to be a woman in this society, et cetera, et cetera. Like, yeah. Real representation is media by the people it's representing, featuring a full range of that existence, yeah. not a I single mean, token. Real representation is in the labor and the power, not in the depiction. 
right? And I think that that's like something that media is really, video games is really fucking terrible at this. People love to applaud video games because it like decided that that character that's been in that video game for four years is queer because you find a note about that they wrote to their (laughs) ex-husband or whatever. And I'm like, fuck off with that shit. Unless one of your producers or creative directors or writers, like one of the people who actually gets to make a decision that some straight cis guy can't veto then it's not queer representation, right? Like, unless a queer person can say, this is what this is supposed to be. This is what I need this to be. This is what I think it should be. And some guy can't walk in and be like, oh, well, that won't work for us. Then you're not, you're not getting there. Um, which it is, it is, it is. Funnily enough, representation is not a thing you can see from ingesting the media. <laughs> um, but that's also like, you know, I have my background for a while. I was involved in the feminist porn community for a good chunk of years and have many fond memories. And there was like this huge, <laughs> there used to be this festival in Toronto called the Feminist Porn Awards. And they always had to try to define what feminist was in the context of porn. Uh, and there were like three pillars of it. Um, and the They first... are uh, combat, exploration, and, and social? <laughs> And forts, shenanigans, forts, uh, whatever. Yeah. Flirting. Yeah, that's the, probably a better metric uh, than than what they went along with. Because they like, at one point, I, I don't remember what all of them were, but there were three pillars. And one of them was, but the, the important one was like, it has to be produced by, and at the time, I think, I think they exclusively used the language of women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think over time, they become a little bit less hellbent about that and we're comfortable with like marginalized genders being the production team but that was like always the important one for me like they also tried to make statements about what the media contained in its depictions and i think that got a little uh right bad actually just but you need someone in control yeah you know like you can tell a good story about a woman but if it's a bunch of men making those decisions and then making the money from that story I don't know if that's very feminist. But. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it uh, counts actually. Uh, which also, I guess, isn't whatever. This is all complicated. It's not to say men can't like participate in feminism or whatever, but they have to participate from the fucking sidelines. Um, <laughs> whatever. I was raised how I was raised. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I do think it's a conversation about power more, and I feel like the hard thing is that I feel like a lot of these media properties now get written off as being offensive because of their messiness. And I think they can both or inappropriate or whatever. And I think they can both be inappropriate and have value in, in the history of queer media. Right. Um, And ideally now we are working toward a place where, uh, more queer people are being empowered to tell their own stories and, and also uh, maybe allowing for messiness, but I don't think that's the direction we're moving in. Right. But you know, it's, there's a, a context to, this comic that is like it was created when the internet like before social media before um, oh my god it never would have survived social media <laughs> but it's, it's like you know i remember just like finding what pieces of comfort i could uh in various aspects of my life and sometimes it was like well this isn't quite how i feel you know reading about Lord Fanny in this comic, but it's closer than reading Batman, you know? And so it was just like, I'm going to hold this close and kind of keep that flame lit until I find something better. 
or you know it's just like i'm not saying that because of that young people now should like honor or respect this comic as something that is meaningful to them um I don't really know what I'm saying, but <laughs> I think context matters. And I think it is important to like, look at the history of queer media with a, a context informed, like allowance <laughs> that is wider than the allowance you might give to other kind of media. Or the, the allowance that we give to people that are producing things today with the resources that they have available today. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, you saved me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I don't know. It's a cool comic. It's it's weird. It's not for did everyone. It, did it influence? Because So you put up the character generator for your game on the mm-hmm. internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like that's where a lot of like the flavor of it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think like one part of In a Mirror Brightly, the game I'm making is like you can make all the characters in the invisibles using that you can make characters from a lot of media, but I specifically wanted to make sure that that stuff was in there. Um, also we haven't really talked about the augmented reality aspect of this book a lot. That's true. And I have recently been doing work on my side of that for my game. And part of that is because you're ahead of me. No, I just mean because I don't want you to have to do all that work at the very end of this. I was like, I got to start planning for this. I think so, I think your game is my game is your, I think your game is closer to done than mine is, so that makes <laughs> sense. Mine is getting there, uh, but it's definitely we're still we're I'm play testing it a little bit more thoroughly than I would other games because of the the unknown nature of the player versus playerness. Right. And so I think it's taken a, a little bit longer. Um, uh, so I'm not surprised is what I'm saying. But in The Invisibles, one thing they are kind of pursuing for a lot of the book is the Hand of Glory, uh, which is like a real item. People would chop off the hand of a criminal and dip it in wax and put candle wicks in each finger. Uh, it is featured in like Hellboy comics as well. Like it is just one of those weird uh, pieces of folklore that emerged in the 90s and was put into various media. Um, in The Invisibles, the Hand of Glory is also a cursor. I told Max, there's an argument to be made that The Invisibles is an analog video game, and you're like, yeah, that's stupid. That's not true. <laughs> and you're right. No, but it's fine. The idea, is, the idea is that this Hand of Glory that they're like running around trying to get like an Indiana Jones MacGuffin is also a cursor that some being from a higher dimension is using to interact with the video game of the story, which is the Invisibles, uh, which, you know, the reader then could be the person using the Hand of Glory. Not important. What's cool is the Hand of Glory is in my game, and it's like a little token that everyone gets, and they can turn it in to, like, quote-unquote, click on the game and see the code behind the game. And so um, everyone kind of gets to use this Hand of Glory once, and it shows them new character options in character creation or uh, new skills they can get when they level up or, you know, affect the in-game world in a really direct way. And so that is the container for this AR component. So I think it's funny that we both put cheat codes in our game. Yeah, I mean, that's We're what it is. just like break the game, whatever. Yeah, please do. do. It. 
please reach in, you know, as the player, show your hand in the game, reach into the world of these characters and wiggle them around a little bit. The question is, are you going to apply the hand of, what is, why did I just, why did I just blank on what the hand of glory? Hand of God, glory. what is destiny? I think it's hand of here? glory. Now I'm doubting myself. <laughs> Why did I just, I was like, wait, what is it a hand of? You just said it like six times and my brain definitely. Yeah, it's, it's a hand of glory. The dried and pickled hand of a hanged man often specified as being Great. the left hand. Oh, yeah, cool. Into the it. sinister hand. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like that would be fun to also maybe get you to just apply that to my game. Yeah, I'll do it. Um, I'm going to draw a little token. I mean, there's definitely going to be some of that. It's one of the things that I'm kind of excited about the AR app, right? Because we have these like two... Uh, independent games that have thematic alignments and inspirational alignments and some mechanical Um, alignments as well yeah and then but i'm kind of excited for the ar app to like blur that line a little bit more yeah uh, and look kind of at the book as a whole as opposed to just yeah if we were super rich we could like print a bunch of little plastic hand of glory tokens that would come with the game Uh, why are we super rich uh, well, it's because people haven't backed our Kickstarter low-res features <laughs> to our Figures <laughs> One flipbook on Kickstarter now. Uh, yeah, I know, because I also want to really want to print a pad of tear, like tearaway character sheets oh, for yes. my game, which I might yeah. do as an add-on because you just die all the time. Uh, and so I like the idea of throwing that, having that in there in a physical way. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe a future release. Maybe this will make us famous and some big publisher will want to pick up our book and make it even fancier. Yeah. You and I, hell bent on fame and fortune. <laughs> Please our... give me some money so I can eat. Really big. Yeah. We're really, we're really good at directing our life in, in the ways <laughs> of fame and fortune. Uh, uh, maybe we need to create a hyper sigil to mm. kind of rocket our way to success. Right. We just we, we, we need, need to, to write our stories. So we need to break the code. Oh, the other funny thing relating to Grant Morrison and hyper sigils and all that weird stuff I talked about is that um King Mob, like the leader of this cell, is like pretty much looks like how Grant Morrison looked at that time. And King Mob ends up dating this the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, like redhead from the future. And then Grant Morrison met and started dating someone who looked similar. And uh, then, like, all this bad stuff happened to King Mob, that self-insert character. And then Grant Morrison got super sick and, like, almost died and and was, like, doing magical negotiations with the bacterial infection inside them. Um, this is all wild. I yeah. None of this. <laughs> There's... <laughs> I this explains why I like that book so much, yeah, <laughs> and also why I the, just like is so much, so much of the people that I grew up around, uh, with there being like actual witches, um, right. and by actual I mean they think they're witches, not I right. believe people who have a set witchcraft. of beliefs and pursue them in order, yeah, um, a hundred percent. My mother would probably. You know, do some kind of ritual for the bacterial infection living right. in her body or something. Yeah, uh, it was going to be canceled at one point, and Morrison was like, "I need you, the readers, to help power up this comic book so it's not canceled. I need all of you to masturbate at this time." Oh my god! <laughs> it's, 
Um, yeah, you know, just living the magical life and asking oh a bunch of your readers to hold a wankathon so that your comic book is not canceled. I kind of love that. <laughs> Maybe is that what we need to get this Kickstarter fund? Oh yeah, announcing the RTFM Wankathon, uh, which is a phrase that I don't like. Yeah, uh, it has right now. The Kickstarter has three days to go. If you're listening to this and it's Valentine's Day for you, get over uh, there. well, let's say the fifteenth. Let's say Wednesday the fifteenth. Uh, at what's a good time? And it has to be to enough, do this. enough before our, our the end of it, right? Right. Like it can't be past the deadline, right? So it and has so, to be a, a, a good, a good early, early wank. in the morning. I hate the phrase. I hate the word wank, and here I am just using it, a bunch. just begging people to do it. Uh, you know, Wednesday the fifteenth. Uh, let's when say you around, wake up with your. Let's coffee. say around eight a.m. Central Time, if you can get that going for us that would help us fund <laughs> there's something about saying get that going for us just a plus great <laughs> uh also i feel like you can tell that we have been kickstarting something and that kickstarter fucking rots your brain uh because i feel like that just the general nature of these mini episodes over time is probably really telling about our mental states right uh, we started all bright eye and bushy tails, and they were. We had an agenda for the first episode. Yeah, we switched this. We switched this this morning. It was going to be mage. We decided today, no, no, not today, wankathon time. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I'm excited. The games, the games, this is also to say that the games are going to come out regardless. We are going to finish yes. our games. It's not, if it doesn't yeah. fund, it doesn't fund. And both if of you us don't have are... money, like, please don't feel obligated to do this. Don't put yourself at risk. Don't, oh, yeah. You know, also, yeah. either way, they fund or they don't fund. There's going to be a bunch of community copies of both of them. The games will always be. Yeah. I actually don't know if Aaron's planning on doing that. I'm just saying that they are now. Aaron, you're putting out community copies of your game. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, and it, again, if you want to play them, uh, I'm doing the next playtest, I think, on Thursday, which is after the deadline of our uh, our Kickstarter. So as I've said in our Discord, it'll either be a celebratory uh, playtest or I'm going to be real hand-wavy with the rules. <laughs> just going to wing it. It's going to... might I might, you know, get high or something. Maybe it'll be Ooh, weird. Very good. Uh, is that uh, it? Are we done? I think so. Which means... We're almost prepared for uh, to return to our normal seasonal format. Yes. Regardless of what happens with the Kickstarter, the next episode will be our normal seasonal format. We will be starting season three, which is monster season. Get spooked. Yeah. I don't know which episode. I don't know which one's first. What's first? I don't think we've scheduled it. <laughs> good. Good. We are ahead of the game. It's because of the Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, 28th. February 28th is the goal to release back on our bi-weekly Tuesday things. Um, yeah, I have some potential cool guests that I need to reach out to and get some final scheduling, but we'll be there. You can expect us. Because I know they'll listen to this. Uh, Dan, do you want to start off RTFM season three? Dear A public Dan. call out. A public call out. Dear Dan Phipps, do you want to start it off with the real monster masculinity? 
uh, feels like a good interim between the conversations we've been having about our Kickstarter oh, yeah, and returning yeah. returning back good. to the talk of games. Um, either way, I'm excited. It'll be fun. Cool. Um, well, that's it. I closed my PDF of Kismet, so I don't even have a quote to read. Just imagine it. Or the Invisibles. You don't even you don't have a quote from the Invisibles. I feel like there's probably some real good. There's some nasty stuff I could read from the Invisibles. All I remember is when they like blow up a car or whatever, and they are just screaming, we are the boys. We are the boys. <laughs> and it's a bunch of teen delinquents running around Liverpool, burning cars I, and stuff. I, see, I would play that RPG. Yeah, that's my RPG. Find it on Kickstarter. We are the boys. We, we are, are the, the boys. boys. Not, none of us are boys. We are the boys. <laughs> <laughs>